Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 260. Wow, what a week it's been. A week ago I did a special program with Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein in Poway, right outside of San Diego, where two weeks ago a tragedy took place. Achan Pesach, the last day of Pesach, a terrorist, a killer, a murderer, entered that shul and killed one person wounded the rabbi and others. And uh, I had the honor to be there last Shabbos with them, speaking, fabringing, consoling, comforting. I would say I was more, probably more inspired than they were perhaps by the whole experience, especially Rabbi Goldstein's staunch courage in light of his injuries to stand up and make such a Kiddush Hashem. So we did a special program and uh, what I'm being told is that it was the one most viewed and listened to of all the My Life um, episodes, which was 259 last week, over 50,000 people so far, and only growing. So we're going to dedicate this program in honor of Lori Gilbert K. Leah Basruvain, who was killed on Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name on the last day of Pesach, just really two weeks and one day ago. And uh, there were themes I was going to speak about last week, but this unfortunate incident um, took precedent, took precedence. So I will touch upon some of the themes in this week's episode that um, has, has a link, of course, to last week's, as we'll discuss in a moment. So, Chassidus Applied. Chassidus Applied, as I said last week and I say every week, is taking the Torah the gift, the treasure given to us by the Rabbeim who've dedicated their entire lives investing themselves virtually, literally, time-wise, their souls engraving their souls into Chassidus giving us the tools, the resources and the life skills necessary to address any issue in life. So with that said We've been doing this program now, it's over six years, and we welcome your questions, your comments. You go to MeaningfulLife.com slash MyLife. Actually, I'm here to announce that because of its success, we've actually created our own, its own website. It's called ChassidusApplied.com. I'm so used to saying MeaningfulLife.com, MyLife. ChassidusApplied.com, where you can submit a question anonymously, confidentially, it has all the resources that were there that you're used to, plus more, and is going to grow as we expand it. So check it out, chassidusapply.com. And we welcome, as I said, all of your questions. Nothing is off limits, as well as comments, as well as comments on previous programs. You can also view there all the archives of the previous 259 programs and view them. Many people ask, how can they see just the section they want to see? So if you go to the YouTube version, and now there's a link to it on each program, you can go to the timestamps and actually go straight to the point where it's linked straight to there, and you, know how, you can skip and go straight to that topic. you also find there the essays that we've already began posting, the fifth year's essay contest that just concluded before Pesach this year. The essays you can also find there. And of course, we depend on your support your financial support in dedicating a program 
in honor of a loved one, memory of a loved one, simply go. You'll see sponsorship there as well at Chassidus Applied Sponsorship slash sponsorship. And please help us supporting this program to be able to continue it and, of course, expand it in every possible way. With that, we always begin with something that's timely. So this is the week is Pasha Emer. In Pasha Emer, talk about Kiddush Hashem, where do we learn the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem? It's from this Pasha. In the Pasha Emer, the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem. Now we can make a Kiddush Hashem, we don't have to, God forbid, die to make a Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify God's name. But all those that have died because they were Jewish, Throughout history, we call that Kiddush Hashem literally in the fullest sense of the word because the only reason they were killed was because they were Jewish, which means because God chose them to be Jewish as a chosen people. The Rebbe has a very powerful sikh, Pashas Achrik Deshim Tovshin Nun. That would be 20, uh, 29 years ago. It's printed in Sefer HaSichas Tov Shinun, and there he begins and says that this Shabbos we read three Pashas, Achrei, Gudeshim, and by Mincha, the beginning of Emer. And they all have a common denominator, and the common denominator is Kiddush Hashem. In Achrei, it starts Achrei, Meis, Shnei Bnei Arn. As they got close to Hashem and Bekrevi HaKadosh, they sanctified God's name. And other verses in the chapter that talk about Kiddush Hashem, especially how to enter in Kedush Kadosh in the Holy of Holies. It says there the, all the rules of Yom Kippur, of how the high priest should go into the Kedush Kadoshim. Pasha Kedoshim, of course, begins Kedoshim to you. That you shall be sanctified because I'm sanctified, God is. And also verses throughout the chapter. And Emmer, as I mentioned, Vinikdashti, the mitzvah of Kedush Hashem. Even the meaning of the name Emmer. From the word Amira is from Shvach, the Chshivus. Amira is a, an expression that re- indicates on something that's precious and majestic. As the Rebbe explains in the Sikh. So you have a common denominator between these three chapters. It can be ignored the fact that it was the Kiddush Hashem done by the killing and the death of Lori. And of course, even perhaps on a greater scale that I've ever seen, Rabbi Goldstein himself standing up from the moment that he was shot, and unceasingly till this moment now, making a Kiddush Hashem of the great, on the highest, greatest proportions, literally reaching hundreds of millions of people, with a statement from the Rebbe that way we vanquish darkness is with light, the call for a moment of silence, the courage, the strength to stand up even stronger. I hear that almost a million people went to shul this past Friday night, uh, not this past, I should say, last week, because of his call. I myself met hundreds of them, if not even more, in Poway. Some told me they never went to shul. For 30 years, someone told me. But tonight he said there was no other place but to be here. He drove two and a half hours from Los Angeles. But just from that and from others, I could see it touched a chord and a nerve, a kiddush Hashem, literally. So the theme of these three chapters, the one that we go straight from Pesach, into Gdeshim last Shabbos, meaning a week from yesterday, and uh, I'm sorry, yesterday, and going into this Shabbos, Emir, all the theme of Kiddush Hashem, as the Rebbe explains in that beautiful Sikha in Achrei Gdeshim, Tavshin Nun. The lesson to us is very clear. We are sent to this world to be agents of God, to be ambassadors of light. 
the greatest example that was shown here by Rabbi Goldstein, and it took a, a loss of a finger, Rahman al-Islam, and the injuries and the death and all that they went through, the trauma. But what? To stand up and show that we will be stronger than ever and sanctifying God's name and sanctifying God's message to us. So we, who've been blessed with health and with all our limbs and organs, have the obligation, as this Pasha talks about, Pasha Zemir, to sanctify God in everything we do. We don't need to wait. As the Rebbe says in a number of places, especially in the Maimah Va'atat Tetzav Etav the last Maimah the Rebbe distributed before Chavzai Nodar, that this Kosis Lamoyed means Kosis means to press, to pressure, to crush. That there's times you reach Oyer through crisis, through trauma, through oppression. But there's also a way to achieve it through pleasant ways, through prosperity, through comforts. It's harder. That's why the Balsham, excuse me, that's why the Balsham Tov says, Nafshi, came by Kedish she says, When I'm thirsty, as the Altareb explains in chapter 7 in Tanya, the end, he says, When you're thirsty, obviously you have great passion, because you're thirsty. Halavai says, King Bakedish, King. Halavai, may it be that I should have the same passion that when I'm Kedish Chazesicha, when I see you in the holiness, meaning in the Beis Amigdash, when things are going beautiful, in the time of Geula, in the time when the Beis Amigdash stood. Halavai should be with the same passion. Sadly, unfortunately, and that's how it is, when things don't go well, when there's a tragedy, when there's a crisis, when there's a trauma, that tends to have a certain wake up call. But the challenge we have is can we have the same type of passion, that same type of sense of urgency, even when things are so called peaceful? Hashem should bless that this should be the last remnant of any type of pain anywhere, for Eden, both in America and across the world, and of course in Israel, and for people all over the world. We pray for the whole world at a time of peace. As the Rambam says, Mashiach, Lekinavalerov, there'll be no war for all peoples. So may this be the last thing, and may it serve as a true wake-up call, as Rabbi Goldstein, Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein has demonstrated, to show us all how we, in good times, in comfortable times, with everything intact, understand that we're not here just to take care of our own needs. We're not just here to indulge. We're not just here to be relaxed. We're here to actually use our resources our gifts, our blessings, our bodies, our arms and legs, our mouths, our minds, our hearts. To what? To understand that we are emissaries sent here, our soul sent to this world to bring light to the world, to transform the darkness of this hostile world into a dira b'tachtenim, a home, a divine home and a divine garden. So the lesson is very clear, and especially coming from these events, how we all make a Kiddush Hashem and we're obligated to make it at work, at home, at travel, wherever we are, that is ultimately that we should be a walking, a walking um, sanctification of God, that someone looks at a person, looks at you, and says, ah, I love God because I see a person who is a godly person behaving in such a refined way. The Medrash teaches, not just that you, you should love God, but you should make God beloved, that through you God should be beloved when they see a person is a godly person and behaves in a far more refined way, in a, in a spiritual way, in a giving way, in a compassionate way, like Rabbi Goldstein has demonstrated, you say, that makes me want to love God. 
Rachmanu Litzlan, I don't want to speak about the opposite. One of the gravest sins is the opposite of that. And everybody can fill in the blanks. So our lesson is very clear in Parashat Semer, Vinigdashti, to, to, make the, to, to sanctify God's name, which in essence is really V'shachanti B'Seicham. V'osili Migdosh, again, Kedusha, make for me a holy sanctuary, a sanctuary, and I will rest among you, not just in it, it doesn't even say in it, as the Shalom explains, to rest in each one of our hearts and souls, that each of us is a living Migdash, a living Mishkan, in which God resides. <clears throat> of course, all the whole Sefer Vayikra, which we're reading now, is all part of that message, because these are all the mitzvahs, and all the, and all the, 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 the rituals, and the things they did in the Mishkan, after it was established on Ashkedesh Nisan. The whole Sefer Vayikra is mostly about the mitzvahs that are connected to the days from Rishchidosh Nissen and dedicating the temple and then the actual first steps of the service in the temple, which is all about bringing sanctity to a world, to a mundane world. And today that mission is in each one of our hearts and souls, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our environments, to do exactly that. That we should be that I shall be sanctified among you, and you have, we have the power to actually sanctify God. So it brings me to the Pshat and Kadeshim to you. So there the Medr says, Tereskeinim, sometimes called Sifra, says, Kadeshim to you, you shall be sanctified, Kikadesh Ani. Because I am sacred. So the Medr says, as a question, you may think. Have a minute. You may have a consideration that creation to you, you are as holy as I am. So it says, My Gdusha, God's sanctity is greater than your sanctity. Says the, says the Baal Shem Tov and touches it and says like this, uh, it's from the Moir Anayim, the name of the Baal Shem Tov, that you have to read it not as a question, but as a statement. You may think that you're higher and says, Yeah, that we talk and learn, my sanctity above is comes from your sanctification below. That means we have the power to sanctify God above. The Rebbe in Tafshin and that Maim explains how you reconcile it based on that they're both connected. So, in other words, yes, absolutely, of course, God is higher than we are. But God gave us the power to sanctify Him, and God forbid the opposite. It's a tremendous, a tremendous message. The power of a human being on this earth to do something, to sanctify God and bring God's presence in, in a revealed way. I cannot keep marveling at what I've seen with my own eyes. First of all, in Poway, and then, of course, we've all seen it in the, on the airwaves and on the interviews and the articles and so on. Rabbi Goldstein's literally single-handedly controlling the narrative and turning it into an unbelievable Kiddush Hashem. I remember we were coming back from Poway Sunday night, the flight back, so he drove us, insisted to drive us to the airport. His wife drove, but he came along. So we were saying goodbye and hugging and kissing and all that, and suddenly a shuttle came by, shuttles, the airport shuttles, and a... Um, a uh, African American or Black American came. It was the driver is waving, and then he stops the bus. He comes out to embrace Rabbi Goldstein out of the blue. You could I saw from that, and I saw thousands of others when we were in the San Diego airport flying together. And everybody, of course, knows the flight attendant's announcement, and so on. Literally saw 
how people gravitating, something resonating, the resonating truth. And I have no question besides the resonating truth and him unabashedly saying, my dear Rebbe taught me and gives me the strength, as he explained in last week's interview, God, the Rebbe mode, giving him the strength to do what he's doing. But I see also we live in a, such a morally decrepit and um, corrupt society where news is about pettiness and polarization that a refreshing message, unfortunately had to come through a tragedy, a refreshing message of hope, of strength, of courage, instead of cowering in fear, is a resonating message for the entire country, for the entire world. And a lesson to each of us, what we should be doing in this same regard, in this spirit. So with that, since we're talking about Poway, before I get to that, let me do a little cross-referencing. I always cross-reference because we've already done programs over the last 259 weeks. See this applied to Emer in episodes 115, 161, and 211. Now with that, let me go. There has been follow-up. We've got a lot of comments. Obviously, I can't read them all. Impossible to read them all. Beautiful comments how people were touched to tears about the interview. You know, we probed deeper a bit. And this was in the, li- in the library, in the study and office of Rabbi Goldstein in Poway, uh, California. And um, I'll read one or two comments. So let us do that. Yeah. Okay. So last week, of course, was an interview, a live interview that I did with Rabbi Goldstein from there. So one comment wrote, Dear Rabbi Jacobson and Goldstein, it was a fascinating conversation, very powerful and profound. Rabbi Jacobson, would you perhaps help us digest and summarize this conversation a little? What points did you take away from this interview, if I may ask, what did you learn new from Rabbi Goldstein? Also, while Rabbi Goldstein's formation has been in the heart of Chabad, living and breathing the Rebbe constantly, what can be told to us, the younger generation, who didn't merit that experience? Thank you. Okay, let me address that, and then I'll read one more. I'm not going to go over the whole interview. Everybody can see it. It's, it's, on the, it's on the online. As I said, you go to chassidusupply.com, just go to episode 259, and that's the interview with Rabbi Goldstein. I will, however, comment my own reactions. It was all really spontaneous. Um, I asked questions. Some people had asked me some questions to ask. But really, I wanted to go a little deeper because everybody, of course, wonders, how do you bottle this formula? People are faced with setbacks, with difficulties, with traumas, with health issues, and yes, with loss and death and tragedies. So can this be replicated? A person standing up like that, so my intention, part of it, was to try to probe and dig deeper and see, firstly, Rabbi Goldstein himself to share as much as he could. It was very clear that he was in a mode that was not even rational. It really went back. It's like when people are in a crisis or people are in a situation where they have to make a quick decision, you can't sit and strategize and make committee meetings. Your visceral and primal gut beings emerges. That was very clear. And what emerged as he shared. As we were talking, he himself said he didn't remember things. And now he remembered when he was at Bar Mitzvah, growing up in Crown Heights, before Bar Mitzvah. Different things that he saw by Fabrengans and just absorbing the power 
the formidable power, the relentless power of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe was embodied and personified exactly that. Coming after World War II, after all the losses, the Holocaust, and before that World War I, and the whole loss of life of Chabad and Lubavitch in Russia, with the arrest of the Friedrich Rebbe, and the, and the Redifus and Gzaitis, the pursuit and the oppression of Jews, and all that anguish, the Rebbe turned around and took it all, and with that planted the seeds of turning darkness into light, and creating a wide network of shluchim, including Rabbi Goldstein. So you could see here's a man that absorbed this as a childhood, and when the moment came that he was shot, literally, and bleeding instead of uh, running for his life, instead of cowering in fear, instead of licking his wounds, rose to the occasion. Now, I sensed it before, but I learned that seeing, sitting with him and seeing him, both the anguish in his eyes, you could still see what he was looking at, and his ability to rise to the occasion. Another thing, I was very taken by his details, that as a child, as a teenager, he would sketch in school, in class, the Chabad house that he would build one day. I mean, literally, a person saturated and durgeveked, as they say in Yiddish, means completely absorbed and saturated with the Rebbe's message, the Rebbe's approach. And not in a philosophical way, but really in a visceral and a very personal and emotional way. So really, all of that was, was, was tremendous to hear, very inspiring, seeing it living in a person today, and by no means a perfect human being. You know, one of us, so to speak. And yet, being able to rise like that. And how many people has that impacted? Um, what else can I say about what I, what I learned? I'm going to learn some details a little about what happened, but I'm not going to go into the technical details. I mean, as he said to me a number of times, he was out of body, which means he was not thinking about himself, he was thinking what he should do. And I saw it from the first moment when the hospital, when he began to speak, you saw that type of mode, understanding what he has to do. And, and I, above all, what I learned is what we have to learn from it. That type of being on call, on duty. Friedrich Rebbe says a soldier is a soldier 24-7. Even when he's asleep, he's a soldier. To be constantly a soldier and be always ready for the right moment to do what, has to be, what you're called upon. If it's a battle, if it's a call of courage, whatever it may be. In the Tavshin Sikha, the Friedrich Rebbe says that today we have soldiers who think that they're generals, and we need an army where the generals know that they're soldiers. Exactly. That's one thing that really was captured, a total soldier, and proved it in the harshest times, under fire, literally. You ask about what this generation can learn, even those who didn't merit to, to live and breathe the Rebbe, the Rebbe lives in a person like Rabbi Goldstein. He lives in all shluchim and shluches. He lives in anyone that was touched. If you're touched by his event, you can say that Rebbe is touching you. As Rabbi Goldstein would tell you, be the first to tell you. The Rebbe lives in his teda, in his directives. So of course, it would be easier, more pleasant, we would all would love it to be able to physically be with the Rebbe, Simchas Teda, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Shabbos, Yontif, every day, davening, dollars, fabrengens, yechidas, I mean, the list goes on. But this is what we have. But the Rebbe cannot say that he did not leave us with his spirit, with his soul, and with a passion as we see it in people. And, and the Kiddush Labavish, the Kiddush of the Rebbe that this man made, even though it's 25 years from Gimel Thomas and 27 years from Chavzai and Oder. So I believe everybody can learn from it. It doesn't matter whether you're around then or not. 
And to me, that's a very clear statement. And it all comes down to, again, not focusing on yourself, focusing on what needs to be done, on the cause, on the mission. That reigns above all. So another person wrote, but Hashem put us in Mitzrayim too. Hi, Rabbi Jacobs. I remember when you were up to episode number three. And I'm amazed that you're already nearing the 300s. Thank you for your weekly classes. I can imagine how much preparation, compilation, and research goes into each class, and your efforts are so much appreciated. I especially enjoyed your video last week when you interviewed Rabbi Goldstein. His messages in all of his interviews were beyond awesome. The question I have is the following. You two discussed what a miracle it was that the killer didn't get to more people, and that Bechaz de Hashem, his gun, got stuck, etc., Granted, the government could have killed more people, and we are so grateful to Hashem that he didn't. But at the end of the day, Hashem also conducted the shooting. How do we focus on Hashem's kindness and miracles when he coordinated the entire tra- tragedy? That question is just a modern-day version of a question I ask every day. We always sing the praises of Hashem, Asher God that took us out of Egypt. And each time I say those words, all I can think is, didn't he also put us in Mitzrayim? In Egypt? If we truly believe in Hashem running the world, we know that He conducted the whole thing, the ugly and the miracle. Hashem conducted our freedom and His gun getting stuck, but Hashem also conducted our slavery and the shooting in the first place. How wide do we sing His praises for taking us out of Mitzrayim and for not killing more people in Poway? But we're supposed to ignore the fact that He's the force that made these events happen to begin with. I'm sure there's something I'm missing since we so frequently praise Hashem for this and would love to hear your insight Thank you for your time. So I actually did address this last week and two weeks ago. So first of all, let's start with the experiential. I'm not going to start with theories and and philosophical explanations. Here you have a man who literally could have been killed in a moment. A man that saw death in his eyes, as he says. He was injured, his finger taken taken from him forever. And yet he doesn't say this question. Why doesn't he ask this question? And I'm not criticizing. I find it almost like if I had such a question, a chutzpah in a way. Again, you're entitled to the question, and I'm not de- denying that. That's why I read it. But when I see a person like that, why doesn't he ask this question? The reason why? Because we don't have answers to all questions. We, again, focus on what we have to do. This isn't a philosophical or theological class. This is about life. Life is not always fair and doesn't always... Doesn't always appear, it doesn't always turn out the way we'd like it to turn out. We absolutely trust that God does everything for the good, and we rise to the occasion, so you have to learn from that. Of course, the question can be asked, but we don't know the answer to that question. So what do we focus on, what we're supposed to do? We could just sit down and say, okay, let me ask this question, and just agonize, why is it that God takes, puts us into difficult situations? And where do you get from, what do you go, what's the end result? Let's be pragmatic. What's the end result of that question? Is, I don't know. So you could either be paralyzed and just focus on remaining in doubt, or you could say, I don't know, but I'm put here, I'm a soldier, and I have to do whatever I can to rise to the occasion. That's point number one. Point number two, no, God does not get intervene in our free will. Unfortunately, due to the way God created the world, for the purpose he allowed free will and he allowed people to hurt each other. With the objective that we shouldn't do it, but it's possible. 
to, so the fact you can ask why God allows it, then you're getting into why the purpose of creation is that way. But no, the fact that there's a that there is challenge, that God sets up in a challenge. But the fact that somebody was killed, a person did that. Now, as Rabbi Goldstein said, it probably meant it meant that Hashem that it came her time, and it could have come other ways. Again, that goes into the mysteries why God did that, and why there. But it could have been other ways. Her time came, as the Alter Rebbe says in the Geras Hakedish, The person who's hurt was already decreed that should be in heaven, but Alamazik will be punished. The person who did the damage will be will be punished for the bad choice the person made. So let's not confuse the two. Conflate the two. So we don't know the answer to that, and our focus always has to be on the building. And finally, I want to say this. Yes, we don't know the mysteries, but we know we have to always look at what the good will come out of it. At the end of the day, a great thing has come out of this. I'm not justifying her killing, but, but a great thing has come out of it, and that is the bottom line, that in her name, millions and millions of people lit candles, are doing good deeds and mitzvahs, and that is to her merit. So why it had to be with that type of pain and agony? You know, we all wish it wouldn't have been, but that's what it was. And that's God's, God runs the world, and that's how we chose. We choose how to react. And we could react either complacent, either asking questions, either agonizing and just becoming grief, living in grief, or rising to the occasion and bringing light to this dark world, and finally f- finishing the process that will have Mashiach, and they'll be almo- eliminate all these things, and we'll only have the ret- goodness and return of all the neshamas that were taken from us, together reunited. Okay. Another theme of last week's chapter was the Parsha Posig Vahaftal Reach Kamecha, Parsha Gadesh, that we just read yesterday. So there's a question that I've addressed this topic a number of times. But one angle, someone writes, Hey Rav Simon, is Ahdus Yisrael, is Avis and Ahdus Yisrael achieved by ignoring our differences and instead focusing that we all have a chelik alikamim al mamish, meaning a part of the divine, actual part of the divine soul? Is it that straightforward? So, firstly, let me refer you to episode 74 and 197, where I discussed Avis Yisrael more at length. Of course, it's connected very much again to the Kiddush Hashem. We've seen a unity that brings people together despite our differences. But all you have to do is open up a Pedic Lamed Beis in Tanya, and Al Tareb, exactly, that's his whole Pedic, is about Avis Yisrael. And what does he say? A few points. He says that the, the key to love is live, knowing that that the soul is primary and the body is secondary. Because as long as your body is primary, you really can't love another person like yourself. So how do you come to realize with neshamas? I mean, you know this neshamas, then you could. Why? Because kulan masimes, av echod lukolona, malosan. Who knows the greatness of each soul? And kulan masimes, all of them are, there are different ways of typing masimes. They all are, um, uh, they're all commensurate to each other. And we're all one father, we're all one family. So yes, it's focusing not on the body, which means on our differences as being the main thing, but focusing on the thing that unites us, the similarity. And the soul, even if we're diverse, that's the key to Avis Yisrael. So it's not overlooking or ignoring our differences, it's realizing that there's differences, but there's something greater than the differences. 
And that's the, the so-called the soul that connects us all. So think of it this way. Imagine you were on a team, a team of many people, and you have a mission to fulfill, and each part of the team, each one has their particular role to fulfill in that mission. So you would not look at someone else with competition. They, when they're successful, it's your success, because they're finishing their part, and you have to do your part. Or of an orchestra of many different musicians. Each one has to play their instrument in their moment. We all need each other, and they all need us. So we're both indispensable and also dependent on others. It's harmony within diversity. That's the key to understand, that we're not just separate entities. Everyone, dog eats dog, survival of the fittest. We're really one organism, one intrinsic unity that connects us. But each of us is doing it in our own particular fashion, and together it becomes a synergy greater than the sum of the parts. And each of us helps the other. Think of the human body. The right arm does certain things, the left arm does certain things. The mind and the heart each have their functions. The legs, the other parts of the body. If they all saw themselves as independent entities, they say, you know what, I'm more important than you. No, we need each other and you can't be complete and a healthy human being if all the, de the details don't function in a coordinated and symbiotic and harmonious and synchronized fashion. That's the key to Avis Yisrael and Tanya Periklamet Beis, Derech Mitzvah from the Tzemach Tzedek in Mitzvah Savis Yisrael, and other places that discuss this at length in different sikhs. Okay. Another theme from Pashuk Deshim is about the Isr, the prohibition of shaving a beard. Okay. So here we got several questions, but first of all, I have discussed this topic in the past, and I'll refer you in a moment. In episodes 52, 53, 128, and 130. So there I discussed it much more at length. I will touch upon it because the questions come up from time to time. As you see, those are episodes from a while back but they're totally accessible, and they discuss this topic at length. Okay, so the question. Beards are everywhere and feels like it's all over the place. Some of us do not understand its significance or why some kehillas have mesidus nefesh for every strand of its hairs. I know according to halacha, beards can be trimmed or shaved with the right shaver, and also according to Tatus Hasod, this shouldn't be a problem, although there's a concept in premise of not touching the beard. Trimming is still permitted somehow, as we see many Svarik Dalem trimming. The Tzemach Tzadek gives one of the reasons as Le Silbash, which means not to dress like a woman. The Rebbe's story of the artist I also know, but there's more than that from the... Can you please create... I can't really read the word. Can you please address this issue? Another person writes, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, a while back at a Fabrengen, I asked the halachic beard question. You told me that you would address it in one of these weeks. So I'm doing that now. Thank you. Okay, so as I referred you to previous episodes, there's also an excellent sefer, Hadras Pnei Zokn, based on the Pesach Vardarta Pnei Zokn, that collects together, was published I remember when I was a Bachar in Yeshiva, it was published in 1978, I believe, 1979. 
Ten with many different editions. It literally gathers every possible opinion. And what you wrote is not actually accurate. There are some people that found loopholes, but there's some deists, especially some Tzedek and others, that actually find that it's, it's Osir Lagamri, it's from a Daraisa, prohibited to cut and even to trim. You can look it up there. I'm not going to go through all the opinions. So, yes, there are opinions of Arai, there are Shemri Taylor Mitzvahs who use those loopholes or use those, but the Pesukim are pretty straightforward. And for different reasons, they maintain them either due to the fact for business reasons or because of anti-Semitism. But generally speaking, if it's possible and you don't have any particular reason, there's really no heter to cut your beard or even trim your beard. The fact that people do it is because they rely on certain opinions and you can look it all up there. Look it up there. But the Rebbe, in many letters, when he writes to people, he brings always the Tzamech Tzedek and brings the more stringent opinion and says, this is, it's not just a matter of a technical Gzeres HaKosov, this is the Tziur Panim of the Tzalem Elikim. We refer to the beard as the Tzalem Elikim, Yud Gimel Tikkun Edikna, in the words of Kabbalah Zoya. And yes, according to Kabbalah, no, there's no heter. According to Kabbalah, it's even stricter. Because these are the strands of the divine, the 13 divine attributes of compassion that are captured in a person's beard. Hashem made it that way. And a beard, as the Rebbe writes in a number of letters, if you envision Meish Rabbeinu, Avram, Aaron, all the greats, of course with a beard. Okay, but that you could say is a visualization. The fact is the psukim speak for themselves and the halachas about it. And as I said, the Sefer Hadis Benzokan really brings it together in a beautiful way from all possible angles, including Kabbalah and Chassidus and so on. Now, I'm not here to preach to people, tell them what to do. You know, if you want to know in an open, objective way without any pneus, meaning any biases or prejudices, that's what it says. What a person is going to do individually based on their own comfort zone is your choice. But I would advise at least look up the sources to know at least what you're doing to understand what we're dealing with here and, and the strict word language that's used regarding this matter. But again, this is not a, a, a platform to criticize Jews who, for whatever reason, shave or trim. That's not the objective of our discussion here. So that's not at all part of what we're talking about. We're talking about what the standards are, what it says, and you can look it up in that Sefer. Again, excellent Sefer, where he's Malakat, he gathers together all the different views and explanations from all sources, both Chassidish sources, Litvish sources, and even before there was Chassidim and Lit, Litvaks, and Sfardim and Ashkenazim, and so on and so forth. Okay. I would also like to point out that the Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, asked the Rebbe in the early, in the Tzaddiks, I believe it was, to do research on the topic, and the Rebbe wrote up a whole essay, which is printed today, I believe, in Igris Kedish, and in the Rishimus. Um, I think it's Nosa in Igris Kedish, maybe not, where the Rebbe gathers together many of the opinions, and especially the Tzamech Tzaddik's opinion regarding the whole thing, whether using a scissors is allowed, and the other different so-called um, uh, loopholes or heterim, you know, ways, permissible ways, and the Rebbe addresses it as well in those in that uh, in that document. Okay, as I said, the rest just listen to the episodes that I referred to. Then the next question is in relation about a mustache. I have not been trimming my mustache for over a year. 
I've been having two issues since mine seems to droop into my mouth. Wax is not helping. I do not trim my beard. Number one, my wife is starting to make, is to complain. Only about the mustache, not the beard. That, that, that is fine from her point of view. So number one, my question is, is there any Ashkaf or Hasidic issues with trimming a mustache? Number two, if there are no Allahic issues with trimming with scissors to aid eating, are there any particular rules of how that should be done? Thank you. Okay, so firstly, in the Sefer that I mentioned, Adas Panei Zokn, he addresses that as well. And there's actually these two opinions. Some say from the Rizal that there was a trimming the mustache, in order that it should not go in the mouth so the food shouldn't get stuck on it, which creates clippers. Others say no, that the same prohibition of the payas, of the beard, goes also on the mustache. So there are two opinions. I have not seen from the Rebbe on it. That may be my own oversight. But I believe, by looking in that safer, you'll find the opinions. Based on that, if there is a situation where either it's, causing, it's becoming cumbersome or it's becoming something that your wife has issues with and it's really a matter of cleanliness, so you could be rely on that. But I'm not here to paskin. I'm just giving you the opinions. I would suggest speaking to your rov or your mashpia and reviewing it with them. I'm just here just to clarify the ideas. From Ashkofa point of view, as I discussed, um, well, Ashkofa point of view is part of the Tzalem Elikim. But we're not talking about cutting off the mustache. We're talking about trimming, especially the part that goes into the mouth. And as I said, there there are different opinions. There's actually Mukobolim that did trim because of that reason. But there are others that are not, that do not, absolutely not. I want to add one more thing, which I've said back then, but I, I, I should have said it here too. Here is holy. There's a sanctity to here. But here has many different levels. And we discussed about here, and I'm going to talk about it now as well, regarding a shaitl. That are here, there are times that, for example, here on the head we cut, a beard we don't. A man covers his hair with a yarmulke, a woman after marriage covers it with a shaitl. You have the story of the nazir, of the mitzayra. So there's many different things about here that we see here is not just some type of frivolous thing, it actually reflects on a higher dusha, and that's why there's all the laws that address that. I've talked about this in previous episodes, which I'm going to speak about right now. Shaitl standards is the next question. Are there standards for what is considered an appropriate shaitl? Are long wigs an issue? I've heard that there are people who have issues with long wigs because it doesn't look tzniyazdik. What is the proper standard for a shaitl? So, okay, so I want to refer you now to episodes 95 through 97, 151, 193, and 201 that discuss the topic in a more expansive way about a shaitl in general, why women cover their hair, what is, what is hair, what is the significance of so on. This is a particular question regarding the, the shaitl itself. Now here too, I always like to avoid, I am not an authority on this matter, I'm not speaking as a rov, speaking more from a hashkafadika point of view, basically an ideological and philosophical point of view, an chassidisha point of view. So we know that Rebbe was very into 
and made a big thing about shaitels in the early years, and really asked many women to buy shaitel and wear shaitel. Was not a, a shaitel better than a tichel because a tichel could fall off? There's more nisoyin and so on. But at the same time, it does not mean a shaitel has to make you look ugly. And here's the key thing to remember: something we've talked about a number of times when it comes to tznius. Tznius and ugliness is not synonymous. Tznius means modesty. You can be truly beautiful, physically as well, and be modest. You could also dress tzniyazik and be immodest. So tzniyaz is a whole demeanor. It's an attitude and so on. A shaitl is covering your hair. You can wear a beautiful shaitl. You can wear a short shaitl that's provocative. You can wear a long shaitl that's not. So it's not just the length of the shaitl. And I'm talking now from a Chabad perspective. We have never heard from the Rebbe about the length of a shaitl. So from a Chabad perspective, the key thing is, is the way you wear things and how you behave with it can be very beautiful, but not flirtatious, not provocative, not trying to get attention in a sexual way or in any other way. For some reason, people have confused and conflated the idea of tzniyaz that you have to look ugly to be a turnoff, to make sure people look at you as and are, 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 are repulsed, repulsed or repelled by your look. That's ridiculous. A person should look dignified, dignified. But remember, it's all about how you carry yourself, your body language, your eyes, the way you speak to people, the way you look at people. So shaitl goes into the context, not just the length, the actual technical length, it's why you're wearing it and how you're using that length or shortness and all part of an attitude more than just purely the technical component of length or shortness. That's the, shortness, the, the, the short version of it. And as I said, I've talked about this topic at length, not particularly about length, long shaitels, but that's the key here. And when a person carries themselves in a proper way, by all means, wear a beautiful shaitel. But a shaitel that is sneezdik, not because of its length, but because of the way you wear it and how you wear it and, and even the way you comb it and the way you um, present it and present yourself goes all hand in hand. Now, obviously, at the same time, a shaitl is a requirement. Someone can say, you know what? Why do I need to wear one? But that's the point, is to cover your hair. Either covering can be as beautiful as your natural hair. So what? That's not the problem. It doesn't say anywhere that's the issue. The issue is the natural hair, as I discussed back in those episodes. Okay. Next question. The next question. What can I do about nightly emissions? Okay. The reason you see me struggling because it's hard to read and I'm trying to figure out exactly where we are. Accuse, excuse me for bringing this topic up, but it's an issue, a serious issue, and I think about it. What do I do? What do I make of a nightly emission? It makes me feel so low and so impure. It makes me feel like a pleasure-seeking animal. And put it to put it to put it lightly. I try throughout the day to grow my Yiddishkeit and sensitize myself in life before going to sleep, saying Krishna with Kavona. And I even daven that this shouldn't happen at night because of how much of an Aveda and impurity it causes in a person. 
what are the eitzes, the advice to do if it happens, or prevent it from happening in the first place, to heal him, learning a maimer. I look forward to your advice. Thank you for everything. Okay, another person writes, that what does it mean when Chassidus talks about chatas ne'urim, which literally means the sin of our youth, referring to this issue? Is it referring only when it happens deliberately or if it happens by accident at night? The chet Okay. So firstly, I've talked about this at length in episodes 6 and 7 and 9. So I'm not going to go over everything that I discussed there. What I will do is address these particular issues. First of all, let's go to the Rebbe's approach in general. The Rebbe's approach in general to this is Hesach Hadas. Not to dwell on it, not to obsess with it. If it happens, move on. What are ways to deal with it? Not to focus on it. To move on, fill your life with Yudushim. How do you prevent it? So the Rebbe speaks a number of times that you prevent it through learning Torah, especially Chassidus. When you learn Torah, it's a counter-effect of this issue. As a matter of fact, I just was learning an Ayin Beis today. On page 1064, he talks about Keri, that it's connected to the Klippa, to Kesa, to Atik, Tainug of Klippa. And the Tikkun of it, as he explains in Tov Shinhei, in the Hemshech Shavuos Tov Shinhei, which is from that Maimur in Ayin Beis, that the Tikkun is learning Teda with pleasure and with sweat, meaning with intensity. I talked about a number of times the Sichon Teda Shalom. Teda Shalom, Tafresh Ayin Dalad, Yechofal of Kislev, that Rebbe Rashab spoke about it in a very powerful way. I actually gave a class in it, you can find it online. Just look for Teda Shalom, this discussion on sexuality. And he says, Chsidis is the, is the part of Teda that actually goes to the same place that that Taiva comes from. So you can rewire it from its source by learning chassidus properly. Now in Tanya, Nagera Satshuva, Perik Tes, the Nikud is there in, one, in just in one line where he says that the Tikkun of this is through learning Teirah. Teirah is Chabad, and this Aveda is also in Chabad, so the Tikkun is through Meicha, through Meicha, using your mind to learning Teirah. There was once a fellow who went to Yechidus, a Bochir, and he asked the Rebbe, what's an Eitzah for Hagbara Satsura Allah Chemer? Which means the dominance of spirit over matter, soul over body. Which often includes also the crassness of the body, which includes this issue we're talking about. And the Rebbe said the Eitzah, the solution for Satsura Allah Chemer, that you're, in other words, you shouldn't, shouldn't um, succumb to the, the base and, and coarse desires of the body, is to say, Limadatere Bishufi. Meaning, learning a teda b'shufi, which means a, a lot of learning teda. Shufi is like a, 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 a intense flow. Shufi, a lot of teda. The Rebbe said you can do it with nigla the teda, but it's easier with chesidus. The Bachar followed up with a question: Does b'shufi mean bekamos or be'echus? Meaning, shufi means a lot of teda, or with a lot of intensity, meaning in quality, qualitative immersion. And the Rebbe answered an interesting answer. He said, when you're awake and you're alert, it means be'echus. When you're tired, it means be'kamus. In other words, the Rebbe is the same when you're tired, don't learn. 
learn, but then you can't focus as much because your mind is not as sharp. So then it should be more like Bikiyas, more learning at least on, at least on a surface level. And that's the eight, because Teda is, engages your mind and it refines the mind. And that's the root of all Taivas begin when we think about it. Which leads me to the second question. In Tanya Perik Yeralef, he actually brings from the Gemara, Naveda Zara, Chov Beis, and Ksubis, um, Memvov Aleph, that Al Yaharar Adam Beyem, a person should not have bad thoughts a day, so he shouldn't come to Takola and, and, and something should happen at night. You see from that, that even the things that happen at night that are not deliberate directly are also influenced by what we think by day. So even though Chattas Neurim is usually seen as being something very explicitly done, deliberately, but in a more subtle sense of it, the tomb is also there from night. That's why we go to the mikvah, Phyllis Ezra, and so on. But, and you see, the, the, and it says, because it's also a result of our, of our thoughts. It may be inadvertent thoughts, because Hidr is inadvertent, but still, the Chazal say, al Rodam, and as I said, Tanya brings it in chapter 11. So that answers and addresses that issue. Regarding, we'll do now one follow-up. We'll do then the Chassidus question, and then we'll do the essays. Okay. So follow-up was Internet Addictions was back from episodes 256 and 257. So the fellow writes, in response to the person struggling with addictions, dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you for tackling issues that are sensitive that many people do not, others do not address, in your, and, and you address them in your Hasidus Applied series. It is such a benefit to our community. One point I thought could be added in response to the person struggling with porn addiction, Al-Tareb and Tanya, chapter 14, addressing the aspiring Benini, makes the following suggestions. Live in the moment. Just try to control your behavior right here and now in the present. Two, that's number one. It may be that you will always struggle with lusts and passions. Those are beyond your control. And don't try, except at certain times, to eradicate those urges, such a war, war will bring you down as you aren't designed to subdue your Yetzirah entirely. I find this advice very useful practically if one is struggling with an urge to do something inappropriate. And basically to take everything from minute to minute and try to do whatever you can right now instead of trying a global solution and you're going to eliminate all your lusts and all your desires and all your yetzahara. Then also distracting yourself with thinking about something else. It could be even something like sports or music or philosophy, math, politics or whatever. This will allow the person to spend the free time on that pursuit and will fill up his mind with something positive. So thank you for that. That's a, that's a good, good, good point. I think I made some of them, but uh, it's always good to hear it again. Okay, with that, let us go now to the Chassidus question. Chassidus question is about 
Please explain the concept of our counting 49 days of the Omer, preparing us to then receive as a gift from above the 50th day, which is beyond our capacity to reach on our own. So the fellow writes in detail, I love your book on the Omer, Counting. In your introduction, you write, I just refer you, that's a book I wrote that goes through all the 49 days, Chesed Shabbat Chesed, through Malchus Shabbat Malchus, with a particular thought for each day and exercise to actually refine each part of ourselves. So in your introduction, you write, after we have achieved all we can accomplish through our own initiative, traversing and refining every emotional corner of our psyche, then we receive a gift, a matan teda. Matan is a gift that comes from above. We receive that which we cannot achieve directly through our own effort. Yet our effort is what allows us to get that level of 50th level, which is the day of matan teda. Please clarify the exact nature of this gift such that it is not bestowed daily as we do the work of each day and must wait for the 50th day. Overall, let me refer you to episode 63, 113, 210, where I spoke more about Svir Sa'imer and the Aved of our time. So yes, good question. Let me elaborate a bit. In generally speaking, Siddhis explains that everything in life begins is in three steps in our way of refining our lives. One is we get resources from above. It's called an Asusa de la Eila. Hashem, Asusa means a Seder from an inspiration from above that so-called gets us charged up. But that's not sufficient. We then have to do our work. Not Malmaila Lamata is the inspiration from above comes. Asusa de la Eila from above. A moment of grace. And Malmata Lamaila is Asusa de la Tata in Kabbalistic terms, halos man, elevating mayan nukfin. Hasusa delela is called hamshachas mad, mayan tchurin, hashpah, mashpia. What's hasusa delata? Now we take that inspiration and we generate from our, with our own effort, refining ourselves, working on ourselves. Then what happens, as the Altareb explains all this in Lukutat Teir and Vayikra, Odin Kiyakriv, one of the classic Maimonim that many of us learn maybe one of the, sometimes the first mimer we learn, then when you finish your work, you've now made a keli, a, keli, a container. So now you can receive another asusa delayla, which is higher than the original one, because it settles in due to the fact that you've done all this work. So think of teacher-student. The teacher teaches a student a beginner. Then it's expected that the student take what he's learned, struggles with it, integrates it, internalizes, and grows. As his mind gets expanded through his effort, then the teacher sees that and he responds in return and says, okay, now I'll teach you something even more, even deeper. And this process goes on. The three months of Nisan, Ir, and Sivan called Chedesh Harishin, which is Nisan, the first month, is Nigla Melch Malchem God revealed himself and took the Jews out of Mitzrayim. Uznasusa Delaila. Chesidus explains Nisan is Asusa Delaylam, Hanoganisis, a miraculous approach. Tishrei is Mamatalamayla. That's why Tishrei's Tofshin Reish goes backwards. What comes after Nisan? The month of Ir, which the whole month is about Svira Seimer. Svira Seimer is our effort. The Jews counted down to Matan Teda. In the process, they refined themselves. Our effort, Then comes Chedesh Ashlishi, Tiferes, Chesed Gvur Tiferes, which combines both, and then we get a Gili of Chamishim, the 50th 
So 49 days, we count 7 times 7, we refine ourselves. And that allows us then to receive the 50th, which is Matan Teda, that comes from above. God comes down on Sinai. But to to receive that, you can't have 50 if you don't count 49. Now you ask a good question. Do we have to wait for the 50th day? You could say subtly, every time you do a Veda, you always get a response. Look in the Hiratsan that we say. After counting the Omer, it says, Hiratsan, Hashem should refine this particular Midah. In other words, once we did what we did, we want God to respond. But in the overall sense, in the macrocosm, it goes first the strength from above, then we rise from below, and we do our effort. And that creates a keli, creates a container that can channel and, and it can integrate and settle in the third level, which is the 50th day, sometimes compared to the 50th gate of wisdom, I'm sorry, of understanding, Chamishim Shari Bina, the 50th gate, but only after you do that Veda. This is a common three-step process you see all over. Things that first comes from above, we educate our children, we give them gifts, we support them, then we expect them to do something with their own effort, and then they get a response, and you give them something even greater. In the beginning of creation, God created the world, and the Chav of Deiris, 26 generations, Nizunin, they, they were fed and sustained by God's kindness. That's why they lived so many years before the Mabul. That's Mumayla Lamata. Then comes Aveda Mumata Lamayla throughout the generations. And then comes Mashiach, which is even greater. That's a result of our Masein of Avedasein, or our work and our effort. Okay. Now, the essay contest 2019 concluded right before Pesach with the winners, and the last episode, 258, two weeks ago, right after Pesach, the day after Pesach, I announced, I reviewed the, the top four essays, the first prize winner, the second, and the third, who were tied, two third prize winners. What I did not review is the student winner, it was a special $500 prize for the student winner, that I did not review, and we're going to go in order of the next two, so if you counted, it would be we did four, this would be the fifth, would be the student, and then six and seven in the order of the marks that the judges, the average marks that the judges gave these essays. All three, three are in Hebrew, by the way. Now, the essays can be all found at the new site, chsidasupply.com. You see right there where the essays are. So the student winner who, was, um, who wrote about how to avoid low self-esteem and get motivated to serve God, haderech limonea medimui atzmi, nomuch, the Kabbalist Motivatia Bavedis Hashem. This was Arya Yenison Chadad, age 20, from Israel. A student actually in 770 Eastern Parkway. So he wrote this from all the students. This was the best essay, and many very good ones. And basically, he talks about motivation and how we lack motivation. Talks about it from a psychological perspective. And the key thing is how Chassidus teaches us, in this essay says, how Chassidus teaches each one of us how to deal with the, the, the resistance of, um, of motivation and growth. And he goes to chapters, the foundation of Chassidus. He talks about the different ways this manifests in a person. And when a person does something wrong, it's the person, it's the action he did, it's the effect on the world, and it's Yitzhahara. And then goes through each one of them, how each one of them can be worked on in a very methodical fashion 
really a very, very informative and insightful essay. And how in each one of them, you see the advantage of the perspective of chassidus that allows you to grow from even the greatest challenges. Then, of course, he concludes with a whole bunch of exercises, practical exercises, that can be applied by each one of us. So that was the, the winner prize, the student winner prize, and we congratulate him for that. The next essay is, was called Inwardness, the Hasidic Solution to the Epidemic of Escapism. That's a translation from Pnimi, Hapitaron HaChasidi Lemagefet Escapism. By, and the writer was a, a previous winner, actually. He's always writing top essays. Shraga Krambi, age 37, New Brunswick, New Jersey. He's a shliach based Chabad in the University of, Rut, of Rutgers University in New Jersey. And this is exactly as the title suggests. He talks about what a pnimi is. A pnimi means someone that when he's involved in something, he's involved completely there. He's not constantly trying to jump from one thing to other. This multitasking. And never really focusing on one thing is one of the problems of our modern times in technology. And he really brings a beautiful sikhs and, and my modern, especially sikhs from the Rebbe, that talk about that idea of being able to be living in the moment fully. And that allows you actually to appreciate the next moment. Well done, very well done. And um, with practical exercises as well, how each of us can apply it in our lives. Of course, good cross-referencing to secular attitudes to this. Thank him for that. And then the next essay is, in English translated, Difficult is the New Easy. Dvar Gorelik, age 19, Nariya, Israel. Kosha Zehakal HaChadash. She begins, she says, when you study the beginning of anything, any startup, any high-tech company, the beginning of everything. They're always trying, some people always try to see how fast can we get it done. And that seems to be the, the, the pursuit and the aspiration of this millennial generation. Is that a problem? It says absolutely, because anything worth talking about really requires effort and therefore is difficult. And that's really what should be the new easy. And goes on to explain, according to Chassidus, how a person who appreciates that and understands the long, short way is going to be far more successful. Comparing how this is understood in secular psychology and how Chassidus explains it. Again, a very excellent essay about the importance of effort and actually seeing the results that come from it that are far, far greater than those of trying to do shortcuts and trying to get instant gratification. And then actual practical things. How do you bond with something? Do you actually feel that ability to really connect to it and not just, not just address it in a, um, in a superficial way? Just looking at this, the conclusion is a practical advice. Yes, very practical advice. Very good. A guide to Matsasi. That through effort you ultimately discover. Well annotated, and again, congratulations, a top essay. And I should always mention that all, from our perspective, all the essays are winners. 
just it happens to be you just can't have everybody winning the first prize. And the difference between one essay to the next is sometimes just a fraction of points. So all these essays are excellent, especially these top 10, top 20, and we're going to continue reviewing them and hopefully letting you know beforehand when we're reviewing your essay so you and your family can listen to it. With this, we will conclude this week's episode 260, the week of Pashas Emer. May we all do our work in sanctifying God's name in our lives. Use this Pasha, use this t- period of time, which is also sanctification. Sfira Se'emer. Sfira means to count. It also means to relay the narrative. And it also means to um, sapphire, to illuminate. It's illuminating the and refining existence that it should become an illuminating force of the divine. When you refine your personality, each one of the 49 days, you become a living Kiddush Hashem. So everyone should have a very refined week, a very Kiddush Hashem Dika week, only with Baruchas Begoli, the community in Poway should heal. They should only great, achieve even greater strength. Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein should be able to get through all his wounds and continue his great work of making a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. So this has been episode 260. We're here every week, 8 to 9 p.m., every Sunday night. And everyone be blessed. Thank you so much.